Hello and welcome to Brew Theology. This is Janelle and today I'm going to be introducing for you a live podcast that we did at the Wild Goose Festival in North Carolina last week. If you haven't heard of the Wild Goose Festival, I encourage you to go online and look it up. Uh, They have a website, they're on Facebook, and what you will see is that this is an amazing event where people come together from different backgrounds, mostly Christian, but also other traditions, and people hang out, talk about God, wrestle with ideas, wrestle with their frustration with the church, uh, eat good food, listen to good music, all the things. It was great. And I would be remiss if I did not tell you about Silent Disco, which is the funnest thing you'll ever do on the planet. And uh, the Brew Theology people represented very well for all six hours of Silent Disco. So today what you're going to hear is Ryan, Andy, Shane, and I sitting around a mic in the uh, Goosecast tent recording a live podcast at Wild Goose Festival. What we're going to share with you are our stories, which many of you have heard, and our labels. Then we're also going to spend a few minutes to talk about our hopes and dreams for Brew Theology and what we hope is going to happen uh, with this idea as we spread around the country and bring about good conversations in the world around us. And then finally, for the last about half of the show, you're going to listen to a discussion on pluralism, where it's not just the four of us, but we bring in two audience members from the live podcast and have them join us in the discussion. They did awesome, by the way. So I hope you enjoy this and keep an eye out for more information from Wild Goose Festival. We'll be sharing pictures, top 10 list, uh, reflections on what we heard and experienced there. And I hope you enjoy that. Please join us at the Wild Goose Festival next year. And thanks for listening. Welcome, everybody. This is Ryan yeah. Miller, and oh. we're on the Brew Theology Podcast here at the Goose Cast at the Wild Goose Festival. Wild Goose, let's Woo! hear it. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Russ Jennings is also in the his house behind us right now. Thank you, Russ, for having us on. You can find us at brewtheology.org, also on iTunes. We just got a great present, by the way. So if, if you hear random things outside commentary and you're listening right now, it's because our brother Shane just got a brand new beer in the house. All right. Uh, so you can find us on brewtheology.org, also at Twitter, brew underscore theology, Facebook and Instagram, at brewtheology. And so uh, y'all want to get brewing? Let's yes, brew. Sir. All right. So I got my friend Shane, Janelle, and Andy right here. And we're going to have some audience participation as this is a live podcast. We'll ask you guys to join us. If you don't have a koozie, grab one over on the table, get a beer, and let's get going. So uh, we usually start off with a little introduction, and so those are about 30 seconds. I'm going to do about a little longer. Like you're gonna, I'm going to get vulnerable. Hmm. Sometimes we, we start with the head, and then we get to the heart. This is going to be a bit of both. So I, I grew up Southern Baptist evangelical in the state of Texas. Hook 'em horns, Ghost Spurs go, Dallas Cowboys. What ups? That's right. And of course, everything is connected in the state of Texas. So uh, you're very Republican, you're very right, you're very white, and everything that goes with that. So about, uh, you know, I went through the, the, the 16 year old party phase, and then I became a fundamentalist again when I found Jesus. I went to uh, Baylor University, sick and bears, anybody? Nobody wants to sick bears around here. That's okay. <laughs> yep. Nope. It, well, it's a good thing I went there because that's actually where I found my wife. My wife. My wife. And uh, at that stage in in college, I the only thing I ever knew was a Southern Baptist tradition. So within that tradition, uh, of course, it led me to well, I guess I should start doing ministry in the Southern Baptist Church, which I did. And about a year into this, about 1998, on being a youth minister, my wife and I got engaged about three years later, and we looked at each other and I said, "This isn't working. I can't." I can't do youth ministry in a Southern Baptist church. And so I, I had moved to Denver, Colorado for the first time. And then uh, I went to a very progressive, all-inclusive seminary. I'm just kidding, because Andy's about to laugh. <laughs> I went to Denver Seminary. And at the, my Islip friends now, Islip Seminary friends laugh at me when I say that. But moving from Baylor University to a Southern Baptist, from a Southern Baptist place to Denver was like, oh, there are people beyond Baptists that are actually going to heaven. So that was my first journey into <laughs> UMC, PCUSA, and, and, and all the above. And uh, I did a lot of youth ministry work throughout the years. About over a decade of my years of ministry were in youth ministry work. And then I took the pill, and it was the Tony Jones postmodern youth ministry pill. The last semester of seminary, my professor said, you're asking a lot of questions. Here's this book, which then led me to the Brian McLaren books, the trilogy. And then it was the Shane Claiborne and Rob Bell Ticket to Hell pill. Uh, 
But the good news was after I left seminary, we moved back to Texas in San Antonio, and I worked for a United Methodist Church. Andy's ooh, repping ooh. over here. And they actually allowed me to read McLaren, Claiborne, Bell at the time because it was the UMC. And they're like, we don't care. Oh, you read the Bible too? Sorry, Andy, that was a little jab. We read the Bible too, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was during those years that I, I started gleaning from the Jewish part of our faith because I said, I'm reading Leviticus for the first time ever, and I found it really interesting. So then I started talking to rabbis. And at that point in my faith, I, I thought I was going to become Messianic Jewish, but culturally I, I fully couldn't do that. And then I, my wife and I went on this crazy journey from about 2007 for the next about, well, what is it now, 2017? Mm -hmm. So it's a long time where she finally got into med school, but we went to the Caribbean. So I took all of my learnings of my Southern Baptist post-evangelical self with my Jewish stuff, and now I went to the Caribbean in this third world country where she went to med school. And uh, I did ministry there. And I thought I was out of youth ministry, but they kept pulling me back in. Uh, we did some church planning and some mission work there in the Caribbean and the Commonwealth of Dominica, and then moved to New York City, which that was the culture shock. And then I started doing uh, more mega church youth ministry stuff, and I got pulled back in. I got pulled back into the monster. And then uh, next thing you know, my wife has to start a residency, and this was four years ago. We had a baby. She was eight months old. And I said, I'm finished. Like, I've been doing ministry since 1998 in the conventional church. And while it pays decently well, I can't do it anymore. Thank you, Tony Jones. And I said, uh, I'm going to stay at home with the kid because there's really no job out there that's going to be worth it to stick with this. And so um, the brew theology chapter starts later, but I'll get to that in a second. So now I drink a lot of beer, talk a lot of theology, and I don't get paid to say the right things. So that's my story. All right, I guess I'm up next. My name's Andy. Um, I grew up in an interfaith household. So my mom's whole family is Christian. My dad's whole family is Jewish. And so a lot of the dogmatic stuff with Christianity, I never really grew up with. Um, the idea that if you're not a Christian, you're going to burn in hell for eternity was never part of my theology because that was my family. Um, that being said, I did grow up in Virginia, in the southern part of Virginia. It was very conservative. Um, theologically, there were a lot of issues I had. And I, by the time I got to college, um, ended up having some serious problems with the church, especially with theodicy. Um, so the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, why is the church so silent when those kind of things happen? Um, that got me asking questions. And three years later, I found myself at Wesley Theological Seminary in DC. Um, spent three years there, got my MDiv, and then served in Russia doing racial justice organizing, um, working with the immigrant population, mostly from West Africa. Um, so that was trainings, that was trying to work with the FMS, with the Russian government, with consulates. Um, very powerful experience that really transformed my understanding of faith. Um, instead of just kind of a me and Jesus, me and God thing, that really allowed me to latch onto my, my Jewish heritage, my Christian heritage, and say, we have to do something better. We have to work towards the kingdom of God. Um, I left after two and a half years. I was a missionary there, and when I came back, I had nowhere really to go, and I didn't have any real commitments to a place, and so there were a couple options, but I ended up in Denver, Colorado. Um, about three weeks after I got here, I was looking around. I had talked to Trip and some homebrewed folks, and they had mentioned Ryan, and the, I showed up, and I've been coming ever since. Um, these days, I work for the United Methodist Church, so I work for the main line. Um, I have some serious issues with the main line, and so this kind of space allows me to represent both at the same time, so I can critique the church as it is, but also kind of help dream of something better, and that's, that's why I'm here. Hi, my name is Janelle, and uh, I am from the Church of the Nazarene, born and raised in a very conservative part of the country in Michigan, and so my faith development was extremely conservative. Um, all the modesty issues, purity, no drinking, no dancing, uh, shaped and formed who I was, and I'm kind of a... Uh, type A personality, and so I was very, very good at legalism, extremely good. I was probably the best. And <laughs> so I went to a really conservative school in Michigan uh, and got my liberal arts degree, and during that time was called into ministry. Um, for all the things the Nazarenes do, they have always claimed to be equal for men and women. And then after receiving the call in college, went to seminary in Kansas City. Unfortunately, dealing with finances meant that we were there for 15 years instead of three. And so that was quite a journey that we went through in about four years before we left. Um, we 
went to a conference at Jacob's Well Church in Kansas City, which was an emergent church in the early 2000s is when they started. And that was very transformative for us as we started to see church done differently for the first time. As we continued to do that, we kind of walked the line between the conservative church and a more open church. And if any of you have done that, that can be extremely difficult and hard. And so when we moved to Colorado five years ago, we uh, knew about a church called Bloom. And we went to Bloom uh, and took a year off where we just sat in the pews and didn't do anything, which felt like heresy. Um, And then as we crossed the line of that year, they started a second service, and so we started helping out, and I was asked to join the staff. Um, You know how church things go. Uh, We left later that year, along with several people from the church, and so I was in a pretty lost place. Um, I didn't know, not only did my faith changed, my vocation changed, um, and kind of my purpose changed all at the same time. So it's been a rough couple years for me. And my friend Dan, who is our editor, he does fantastic work, and we love Love him very much. Love you, Dan. um, Kept harassing me. He's like, you have to come. He kept bugging me, and finally I came, and I found a family. And so I have been with Brew Theology now for almost two and a half years, partnering with Ryan to help lead this movement that we are creating. And I do also have the blessing to attend House for All Sinners and Saints, which has been very uh, transformative for me, and I'm really thankful for that. And I have a small house church in my home where I generally work with people that are transitioning in their faith in some way. We eat together. We talk about the Bible a little bit. Sometimes we play pandemic, but it's awesome. So that's a good transition. Yeah. And I'm Shane. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Kansas. Ooh, yeah, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, small town in the eastern side. So uh, actually, so you think of Kansas, you think it's pretty conservative, and it was. But I had, came from a, um, a slightly more liberal family. But I also meant, like, I did not grow up with really any religious background. Um, we never went to church. We never prayed as a family. That was it's not part of my story. Um, and I went to Kansas State University. Nothing? Nothing? All right. All right, all right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, nothing. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, and so that was like the first time I got bumped up against a lot of different ideas than my small town Kansas perspective allowed for me. Um, and that also meant like that I became became a Jesus follower at that point um, and got in, involved with the campus ministry. Um, and that really shaped some of my thought. At that same time, when I was kind of like going to a more conservative ideology, I was also entering into anthropology as a, as a curriculum. And there was a lot of conflict between the two and a lot of tension, um, which was rough. Um, and I just wanted to do international missions the rest of my life. So I, like, I, was, I was willing to like deal with the tension to, to move forward with that. I graduated, and the first year outside of college, I went to West Africa, Ivory Coast, um, spent a year there with that campus ministry. It was difficult, and things came to a, an explosive head. Um, yeah, and so like that, like through a lot of what I what I was believing in, what I was thinking, what I was forming about God, myself, the world into this disarray. And so when one is questioning conservative evangelical Christianity, um, like one does, I moved to, I moved to Colorado Springs, and that uh, helped, helped me understand a lot about what I wasn't about and what I did not want to shape into. Um, so it took me a little while before I wised up and moved to Denver, and then eventually actually to the mountains above Denver, which I, I love. And yeah, I... Uh, I through circumstances, got to know Janelle, and it got to be experienced uh, with her house church, and you know, like that's uh, a great place for me to grow to to understand, like to figure out where the heck I am, and that's that's still the question: where am I? I don't I don't really know, and I don't you know care to know at this point. I I'm loving life, and I'm loving the journey, and I'm figuring stuff out, and the ride is good. And you know what? Denver Brew Theology is part of that ride, and I'm loving being part of it. Thank you, guys. And this, so right now, if you're listening, and some of you know, some of you don't, this is a micro, micro, microcosm of what we do in Denver every Thursday night. So we, I'd say we have about 100 active people, participants who find this place to be home, community, 
And some of them are involved in conventional church, and others, I'd say the other half, could care less about any type of church at all. So they would never call the pub their church. It is a place of belonging, it's a place of social activism, and it's a place to find common ground in the midst of tension, which we all have tension when we're talking about any kind of theology. And we don't just talk about theology, we talk about politics, we talk about socioeconomic issues, and even one of our last topics was immigration. So everything is pretty much on the table. And because you have a bunch of people around the table, there are many rabbit trails around the table. And sometimes it gets a little dirty, but we try to rein it back in because we have some of the best moderators in the house. Janelle especially. She's like, Ryan, focus, because I have ADHD. So I I do appreciate Janelle on many levels. I want to give you a brief history of Denver Brew Theology, and then Janelle will talk more about Brew Theology, and then we'll have some audience participation and do the most microcosm of what we do on Thursday night with two lucky participants. Are you guys excited about that? Two of you are, and two of you are really scared at the same time. It's okay. We're just talking into microphones, and this is recorded on the interwebs for the history of the world. Forever. Forever. No big deal. Or Even your future self. Yeah. So I would, so I, as I said earlier in my little testimonial, if you will, is when my wife and I moved back to Denver the second time, over, a little over four years ago now, and I had a nine-month-old at the time, Caroline Jane Miller. I, I was... Juice. No, that's no. no. I no. screwed up. Nugs. 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 That's right. Get her. I have a new a newborn. She's now. She's a, juice. She's juice. And Caroline is nugget or nugs or nuggy. Anyway, you don't want to hear about my kids right now. But this was a big part of my transition. They're really cute. They are cute because I I boast in this, and Andy disagrees that I live in the best neighborhood in the U.S. Mm, of A. Not true. Wrong. <laughs> These everyone disagrees with you, Ryan. Well, n- not the westward. But anyway, that's a local newspaper that says that we are the best. And so I, I get to walk to breweries all the time with, with my toddler. So that's, that's really bad dad that of, I just said that out year. loud. Dad of, dad of the, of the year. year. Yes. But in Denver, it's different because you can actually do that with your kids. So what happened was I started meeting with people outside of the church, and my mind was blown because I, once you're, when you're in the bubble for nearly two decades, that's all you know. But you don't know that you're in it until you're outside of it. So one of my buddies, he's a pastor in the Denver community, and he does urban gardening by the name of Craig Brook. You can tell he's Dutch by that last name. He's a great guy. He has the table ministry. Here's my shout-out to the table because they're one of our ministries that we actually give shout-outs to and we would donate to if we had the money to do so because they're awesome. And they give out free food. And so Craig uh, had inherited a pub group that talked about theology, and he's like, hey, man, why don't you come? And I, I this is about uh, a half, six months into my second time in Denver. And I go, one, I don't have the time because my wife's in residency, but I guess I'll show up for this one time. So Craig's like, well, I don't have time either, but we're going to come. And he's like, I was like, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. We'll just show up that night, and we might have a sheet of paper with some questions. And so I showed up, and there were four of us at the table, and we had a great night. And I said, man, I love beer. I love theology. And he goes, he looks at me, and he said, do you want to do, do this? Because you can have it. I don't have time for it. And I said, no, I can't, because I've got uh, one, a wife in residency, and two, I got a little baby I got to take care of. Because I was being responsible, Shane. Yeah, as Shane shakes his head and rolls his eyes. (laughs) And it was a new transition for me. And I had also started to help out a local youth ministry restart. And so a year later, and Craig and I had hung out, and this pub group had met uh, sometimes every other month, sometimes every three months. And then we took about six months off. And I remember telling Craig, I said, hey, man, like uh, that pub thing, that's kind of cool. We should do it again. He's like, yeah, let's do it again. And this was at the, this is about two and a half years ago. And this is when I came across our editor, Dan, and he and I were doing some online class together on the side at night. Shout out to Trip Fuller at Homebrewed. It was a high gravity class called Christology. And so Dan goes, hey, you live in Denver. I kind of live in Denver. We should get together. I go, well, I think we have this pub group. I don't know much, like, if it's going to be organized or not. And so then Dan and I started to meet with Craig and his uh, dance buddy, Richard. And we uh, then all of a sudden, about two and a half years ago, we said, maybe we should take this a little bit more seriously, put some sweat, you know, a little bit of maybe some tears into this. And so we started creating curriculum. And then about three months in, Dan said, um, maybe we should meet every other week. I go, oh, because at that point, we were meeting once a month. I was like, I think I can do that. I asked my wife. She goes, that's, that's fine. We can, you know, we can work around that with sitters and whatnot, and you can go up at 8 to 10 p.m. at night. So we started doing that. So it, it, during this part of our history, I was unfortunately writing all of the content. 
And I say unfortunately because it was from a very Western, white, Judeo-Christian, Christological perspective. So all the content was on Christianity. And while that was working and it was fine and we were doing atonement theories, so we actually have all that curriculum if, you, if anybody wants it, uh, and some people do, but there was, it was lacking diversity and it was still a bunch of dudes, literally males, kind of just hanging out. Well, uh, we suddenly got a female in the group, and us dudes didn't know what to do with ourselves. Like, oh, there's a girl in the group. We should probably talk about poop all the time. We shouldn't talk about poops and penises (laughs) and things like that. And actually, Janelle was one of the first ones who came. And uh, because we had been organizing, that's probably what brought you in, that and being friends with Dan. She's, Mm -hmm. oh, this seems organized now, because she's the organized one. And we... uh, when you bring in females to a male group, suddenly, oh, things begin to change. And our, so our context and our curriculum and all of our resources have then developed out of the people that show up. So we started doing things like feminism and unconscious bias. Uh, we had one of our females who did Wicca because she was a Wiccan for a season. Another one of our leaders is a Buddhist, and so she's done a couple topics on American Buddhism. So suddenly with organization, reaching out to people, uh, and actually doing some pastoral stuff, although that word would be weird on our people. Shane's looking at me yeah, funny. It's not, it's not, it's yeah, from that one. But a lot of that is just taking care of people. Just say, hey, how you doing? What's going on in your world? And then getting people to meet with others outside of the pub group. We we grew as this very strange, eclectic community. And then we added a remix week about a year and a half ago, which means now we meet every single week. And yeah, it's kind of fun. So then we. This little group of five guys has now grown to, we have about 100 active people, and we have anywhere from 30 to 50 people in the pub each week with moderators who write content, who are atheists, who are Christian, all different types of Christian, who are Buddhist, uh, who are vegan and meat eaters and capitalists and anarchists. And so none of, like, we don't really agree on much at times, <laughs> but we actually care about each other and the fact that the conversation and within the tension that there's good in that. Mm. So we do find some common good. And so now here we are, and we have founded the Brew Theology Alliance, and Janelle's going to talk a little bit about that, and then we'll dive in with some, uh, some brewing with you guys. So one of the reasons that we're here is because what we're doing in Denver is working. In a climate, we we all have survived the election together, which I think is a big deal. Um, And we have continued to have people come and want to engage in these topics. And so it's working. We have meaningful, eclectic, healthy dialogue every week. And so we want to share that with you. We have a leader's guide already put together. We have curriculum that's available to support you. We're here to help answer questions, whatever you need. But our goal is that, you know, one of the things that can happen with the brew theology idea, and we know there's other pub ministries out there. We're not trying to claim that this is our idea. But what we do want to do is create a network so that when you are in another city or if you have a friend in another city or you move somewhere, that you know that this is a place I can show up and I can be a part of and it's a healthy, good place for me to be. I recognize a lot of you. You've stopped by the booth and this is all on the website and all that. But kind of the two things that we feel are really important as part of Brew Theology is one, that everyone's welcome. Um, So if you join us and sign our user agreement, basically all you're saying is, I love people and everybody's welcome. Everyone can lead, everyone has a voice, everyone has a say. And we feel like that's a critical thing to say in our world today, because in much of more conservative Christianity, there are limits around some of those things. Um, In other parts of uh, religious practices, there are limits around that as well. And we want to say everyone's welcome. You don't have to drink, okay? You don't have to be uncomfortable in any way, but everybody needs the opportunity to speak. The other rule that we have is don't be a jerk. And you can substitute any word in there you would like. Um, If you're coming to Brew Theology, I'm not saying things don't get heated. I'm not saying things are not stressful or tense at times. They are. But there are are boundaries. We're going to be healthy with each other and say, you know, if you can't handle yourself, you need to check out of the conversation. Or if this isn't a group that you're part of or that you can live with, this this might not be the group for you, and that's totally okay. Um, But you know what? Listen to this. In two years, we've had to do that once. Mm. 
So what is happening with this is that we're getting people in the room that want to be there, that want to have the conversation. And that's, that's amazing. Um, and just on a wider scale, like the whole point is that uh, what we're seeing in our culture right now is we've lost the ability to talk to each other. Mm. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want to like lead you the wrong way and say, oh yeah, we're pulling everybody from the whole spectrum. Of course we don't. But even if we're pulling people on the boundaries of the spectrum we're in, we're getting more people to the table, having the conversations, and working on issues that matter today. Uh, so today, um, as we start to talk with each other, uh, we're going to talk about pluralism. And we're going to engage with this topic about what does it mean to be pluralistic in a world where there's all these different ideas, religions, and thoughts out there. And how do we do that well? And how do we do that faithfully? And how do we recognize our own biases in the midst of that? Yeah, we felt like this was the most appropriate topic, especially within this context, because this is in the wild goose atmosphere. It's a very pluralistic atmosphere where you, we, a lot of you guys get it, but then to have the conversation is, an, is another on another level. So if you can do this with people across a religious spectrum, not knowing who's across the table, that's uh, that's the tricky part. Mm -hmm. So who, who are the, the two people that want to come up here? Mm. But before you do that, I'm going to do a giveaway. It's going to be, you don't even know what's in the bag, do you? There's some good stuff in the back. And so you don't want to even raise your hand. But this question's easy because if you've ever listened to Janelle and when she rolls her eyes at me at times, which you don't see on the podcast, but it happens quite a bit. But we see here. Not that yeah. much. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Is uh <laughs> I'm going to show you. No, I'm not going to show no. you. It's, it's, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. So the question yeah. is, Janelle, what, what is my favorite beer? No, no. It's what no. beer do you hate? Or what beer do I hate? Oh. You can go either way. What either beer way. does Janelle hate? Both. Right here. Zima. Zima. <laughs> that is an awful beer, but that's not it. You might. Do you like Zima? It's okay. Anybody else? Of course. Not Coors. Ooh. How about a style of beer? What style of beer is Janelle opposed to? IPA. Who yes. said that? What? Janelle hates the dank of the gods. Here you go. <laughs> She's smiling. <laughs> Thank you. What's your name? Bridget. Bridget just won a six-pack cooler, so make sure you put all your tasty Ooh. IPAs in there and give them to Janelle by the end of the weekend. <laughs> all right, so the next and question. Bridget should find me on Facebook. The next question, Janelle, do you, do you know the next question? I do. For those of you that listen to the podcast, do you know Ryan's label? Mm. He introduces himself this way every time. And if, if nobody has listened to the podcast, it's okay. We won't be offended. We'll tell you the label, and then you got to fill it in. You ready for it? It is the Anabapta Methojucostal. One more time. The Anabapta Methojucostal. You forgot the pro. Yeah, the pro is a new part. Okay. So the, Andy wants to let you know, because he's a processy guy, that I've become mm. a little pro in my older age, <laughs> mid-age, I should say. So uh, what, what is Anabapta Methodocostal? Anybody want to fill that in? Boom! There it is right there. Woo! The Anabaptist Methodist <laughs> UMC, to be specific. Yeah, the Pentecostal and the Jewish. All right. Two you know, women so what, winning what's, the what's prizes. Becca. Becca got the other cooler. Now, you all don't have to come up here. Don't worry. Uh, any, does anybody want to come up here and do a micro microcosm with us on pluralism? In about 30 seconds, if you wouldn't mind giving both the listeners and the audience your spiritual heritage label, how you grew up, and where you are today. Within 30 seconds. I know we had a little bit longer, but that's because we were running the show. I wouldn't go with a label. That's uh, my name's David. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. I grew up Disciples of Christ. Scooch up to the mic. And you want to get really close. close. Okay. I grew up with Disciples of Christ. And then in about my 20s, late 20s, I started to sort of fade away from the church. And then when I was in my 30s, I met my soon-to-be wife. Um, and she is was a... Um, cooperative Baptist minister. And then, so by getting to know her and then coming back to the church, that's been where my journey is now. All right. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. So I met my husband when I was a second grader and he was a third grader in Catholic school. Nice. <laughs> when our parents were still Catholic. My parents are no longer Catholic by way of Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, Evangelical, Methodist, Vineyard Church of the USA. Um, when right. we got married, which is a long story, 
we left, well, a vineyard church left us, and we are now in a United Church of Christ. Cool. Right on. And just in case she was confused behind me, we actually got married almost 11 years ago. I said soon to be wife, but soon to be when I met her. But uh, soon to be got wife. It. So, okay. 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 For the record, that was David. There's going to be something bad back there. <laughs> David and Becca, good to have you on the show. And Bridget. 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 Ryan. Bridget. There, oh, Becca got the other cooler. Bridget. Yeah. I'm only two beers in, I promise. Shane believes it. Okay, so we're talking about pluralism it. and can we coexist? Is there one way or many? So we have uh, a handout here, and Dan Rosado, our editor, wrote, these, wrote these notes. And uh, he's also given a shout-out to Diana Eck. So if you've heard of Diana Eck, she's at pluralism.org. And she talks about how diversity is given in our postmodern age, but yet pluralism is a stance that we can adopt. So there are many views on what pluralism means, and so we're going to look at what she talks about in uh, specifically at pluralism.org, which you can go to later at the end of the show. So first, she says that pluralism is not diversity alone, but the energetic engagement with diversity. Diversity can and has meant the creation of religious ghettos. In a ghetto, it's a part of a city or a town where Jews lived segregated from the others. The name comes from the foundry area in Venice where Jews were forced to live in 1526 and they came to be used for all such areas of segregation, often forcible segregation with little traffic between or among them. Today, religious diversity is a given, but pluralism is not a given. It's an achievement. Mere diversity without real encounter and relationship will yield increasing tensions in our societies. Second, pluralism is not just tolerance, but it's the act of seeking of understanding across lines of difference. Tolerance is a necessary public virtue, but it does not require Christians and Muslims, Hindus, Jews, and ardent secularists to know anything about one another. Tolerance is too thin a foundation for a world of religious difference and proximity. It does nothing to remove our ignorance of one another, and it leaves in place the stereotype. Stereotyping is the ascription of generalized characteristics to a whole group of people, thus describing individuals by the characterization, usually a caricature of the whole, the half-truth, the fears that underlie old patterns of division and violence. In the world in which we live today, our ignorance of one another will be increasingly costly. Third, pluralism is not relativism, but the encounter of commitments. The new paradigm of pluralism does not require us to leave our identities and our commitments behind, for pluralism is the encounter of commitments. It means holding our deepest differences, even our religious differences, not in isolation, but in relationship to one another. And then lastly, fourth, pluralism is based on dialogue. The language of pluralism is that of dialogue and encounter, give and take, criticism and self-criticism. Dialogue means both speaking and listening, and that process reveals both common understandings and real differences. Dialogue does not mean that everyone at the table will agree with one another, which you will soon find out. Pluralism involves the commitment to being at the table with one's commitments. So, we're at the table. Are you all at the table? I'm here. All right, everybody's here. here. So we're going to jump in, and these conversations typically take two hours, and then we end up about, I would say, 10 of us afterward hanging out for two more hours outside the pub, either agreeing or disagreeing or finding, I don't know what we're doing, but we, we, we just can't stop talking. Humans love to talk. So do y- are you all ready to talk? All right, so your, your own religious heritage, your tradition, uh, how have you related to those with differing views back in the day? Well, I don't know about back in the way. More recently, we, uh, we've tried at our church to um, build a relationship with the Jewish Community Center that's um, in Raleigh through a, a staff connection. And then uh, a couple months ago, we invited an imam to come and sort of instruct us into better understanding about, the, about Muslim and um, Islam in general. And uh, so hopefully we're, we're bridging some gaps there. So that's, that's great. Uh, would you say that that would have been the case back when you were a youngin? Not a chance. No? Okay. Anybody? I mean, this is all of us talking here. So at any point, you, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to give the mic to Bridget. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Uh-oh. Um, I would say that my past life experience with pluralism was that I viewed it as an experience in which I could tell everyone how wrong they were Mm. in all the different ways that they were wrong and that I could explain how right I was. Um, The song, some of you may remember it, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, couldn't easily have applied to my religious view. (laughs) 
And so as I've aged and matured, um, I've come to see that listening more than talking is often the better way to be. So in, the, in view of that, I will pass the microphone back over. <laughs> I grew up and I didn't have like really many other like conflicting ideologies like I, I was I mean where I where I grew up it was it was basically just like the the one it wasn't until college that I kind of started interacting with any other like school of thought even and uh, yeah I mean like it's it's a it's a hard world to kind of transition into in my past life you know Church of the Nazarene is a very missional church uh, they are in over a hundred and some countries and missions was a huge part of our upbringing of like learning about missionaries, what they do. And so everyone's wrong and everyone needs Jesus. And I remember um, sitting, it's 16-ish, and I was feeling like this desire to like stretch out a little. And I went to the United Methodist Church and sat in the parking lot and then drove away and felt guilty because I just betrayed my faith. Mm. Um, And so there were no other answers. And I know if you were to talk to a Nazarene pastor today, they would tell you we don't believe that way, that there are other ways. But at the same time, I just watched the General Assembly and a lot of the discussions there. And it's very much about defining our box and what it is Mm. and how we stay inside of it. And that is not a pluralistic move at all. So I'm kind of different than all y'all in that I've grown up in a pluralistic kind of setting just because my family was interreligious. Um, so for me to n- reject pluralism would be to reject my grandparents, my uncles, my cousins, and that was never something I was willing to do. And so in a lot of ways, I was lucky to be part of an interfaith family because I never had some of these hiccups. It was always just kind of a given that, yeah, our understandings may be different, but we are seeking you know, something better for this world. We're seeking something better for our communities. And yeah, so that, like heaven and hell, that anybody not a Christian is going to burn, that was never anything I was really brought up in. But that was still my community in Virginia. I heard it outside of my family. So I kind of lived in that tension where my family and my church, they were OK with it. Other churches, other communities, not so much. Yeah, and, and obviously, as somebody who grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, while we did have a great Bible-based foundation, even though I might disagree with some of the hermeneutics, we going back to my my parents' church, uh, th- this was tough. After I graduated seminary, one of the ladies, uh, my mom was like, hey, my son got a job. And she goes, where? And I said, it was a UMC church. And she had like this look. And then she said, well, it's okay. You can save all those Methodists. So <laughs> If, if I, if my we don't need to be saved. Yeah, if my upbringing was to say the Methodist, you can only imagine what pluralism meant in my background. Mm. So um, listening to that reminded me of a story. When I, um, so in the same school that I met my husband and I also met my best friend, we were both second graders, we were both Catholic. And then my family went through this evolution where I came to believe that she was going to hell. Mm. And so our relationship as fifth graders was writing letters and you will remember when long distance cost money and didn't come free on your oh, cell phone. Yeah. We got 10 minutes a week on the phone, alternating weeks that our parents paid for. So I wrote her a very long, heartfelt letter evangelizing her um, and explaining how terrible for me it would be if she went to hell. Yeah. And then she wrote me back a very heartfelt letter about how hurtful that was to her. And mm. I think that was my first experience with what sort of lacking that diverse view and sort of accepting and listening to other people's views. It was the start of the tiny crack for me was that personal relationship and the impact of not having a commitment to pluralism on my relationships. I want to throw a curveball here that's not on the sheet. So most of us here have had a what you would call a faith shift or a faith flip, depending on which person you're referencing there. And in this shift, now that we're open to a more diversified, pluralistic world, and there is a distinction between the two, uh, how then do you engage in your past traditions in this religious heritage that is mostly evangelical and conservative for many of us around the table here? Well, I would say... I feel like with my tradition, there isn't much engagement, unless they're personal friends that will still talk to me on Facebook, which isn't always true. Um, I really feel like my tradition is kind of like a fishbowl that's painted black on the inside and the outside. Mm. And so you might try to scratch the paint away on the inside, but you won't see anything. And you can try to scratch the black off on the outside, but you won't get through. And 
So then what do you do? Like, it's really been rough because I was always kind of labeled with that prophetic voice. So if that is the role that I was playing, how come I don't have any way to speak back into you? Um, I'm not an evil person. I'm not, well, I don't know about health, but I'm not an evil person and I care about you and that's why I, I, you will hear me. I do criticize and I do point out flaws that I see in the system because I love those people and I want them to know that the, the world is bigger than what they're seeing. Um, but I don't know if anybody hears or not. And that's really been heartbreaking for me, especially in the last probably year and a half as I've watched them do some really terrible things to some of our professors that are friends of mine and watched uh, the way that it has affected the lives of people that I love. I want to be a voice for change, but I'm not allowed to be. I think for me, like I, I don't have the religious necessarily the baggage growing up, but I have like that conservatism for sure. Um, and and me, so my my entire mother's family side that like lives within forty five minutes of each other, except for myself. So it's 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 huge for me to even be in Denver, um, which is you know like a nine hour drive. Sure, okay. So um, I you know I've, she, every time I'm on the phone with my mama, she like always like says like okay when you moving back to Kansas, you know like don't have the heart to tell her. And sorry, mom, if you're listening, but it's probably not going to happen. Right. Like that's, that's not, not in my plan. So I I've had to like, try like try to interact with that. Like, well, so, okay. What influence, what, what role do I have in my family? I love my family, but I'm, I'm, I'm apart for them. And so I, I've had to like choose, choose some of those interjections. Luckily I have, I've, yeah, like I said, like a family that's, you know, fairly, fairly liberal and especially like my mom, like, thinks about things a little bit deeper than I think most of the people do there in Kansas and can see a more global picture than um, just like the right in front of my face right now. Um, but still like me coming out to her was, was hard. Like me, like, me like pushing those limits of what, what her, her perspective was is difficult. Um, and so I, I, yeah, it's, it's one of those like kind of like touch and go, like what, what can I, what can I stretch them in? What can I, what can I do? Um, and what's appropriate, you know, like they'll, they'll listen to me and it's uh, you know, kind of like the Kansas isn't that far in the South to go like, bless your heart, but kind of the same thing, right? Like, Oh, well that's, we love you. We want the best for you, but, and then the, you know, there's, that's not, that's not our choice. And you know, that's all they have. And I like, kind of respect that boundary too of like, okay, well like I'm, I'm, I'm pushing that a little bit, but I'm also respecting like, this is where they're at. And it's a whole, it's a whole world for them that they're like, kind of in, encompassed in. So I think the way that I, sorry, the way that I do it is um, intentionally on Facebook and trying to invite conversation and not just in sharing my own opinion, but in trying to um, introduce either elevating other people's voices, particularly in this idea of pluralism experiences that I don't have as a, you know, cisgender, upper middle class white lady. Um, I hit on a lot of privileged areas there, um, and being Protestant in the South, I'm also hitting on you know some privilege there. So um, I try to elevate some other voices, and then also to invite people to just think about. Like this was thought provoking, not even necessarily commenting on what I'm sharing, but just saying this made me think. And then often that that o opens a conversation where I have the opportunity to in intentionally engage in a slowed down way where I don't have to respond in the moment and often I choose not to respond in the moment um, and can kind of slow things down with the people that I am still connected to that come out of those traditions and are hurt and have feelings about my no longer agreeing with them. Mm -hmm. So I identify as part of the Wesleyan tradition. I'm part of the United Methodist Church, and I work for the Rocky Mountain Conference of the Methodist Church. So I have Utah, Wyoming, and Colorado. So I've got, you know, hippies in Boulder. I've got libertarians up in Sheridan, Wyoming. I've got social conservatives in the Springs. I've got all kinds of folks in Utah. Um, and so this is real for us. And, you know, how do we do church together? How do we do community together when I'm working with folks from such vastly different areas? And so this is something I struggle with a lot, and I don't have a good answer. Um, our culture right now seems to be so polarized that it's really hard to get all those people at the table. And the thing that makes this this group, this Ruth theology group work, but also when I do these kind of seminars for work work, 
is we're not trying to get on a soapbox. We're not going to prove each other wrong. We're not trying to get a fight. We're just trying to understand each other. And so for me, that's why I engage pluralism now is I, I may not be a conservative libertarian from Wyoming, but I can sit at a table and try and hear their story, try and hear where they're coming from, try and hear their faith and find some commonalities there. And so that, that's the only way I've been able to have any kind of progress there because we do have such radically different ideologies across that area. Yeah, that's good. As you're like growing up the way back when I was a kid, um, you know, we weren't around other kind of people. Mm-hmm. Other kind of, I mean, everyone was looked the same, had the same faith, and everything else. And so that, as our, you know, now that we have two kids of our own, we're trying to you know, expand their horizon, like by the, the schools we choose to send them to, and also by you know, whoever they want to hang out with, whatever they want to think. We just encourage and encourage and encourage. Yep. So, do you all view your yourself? including your views, and if you can separate the two, that's great. If you can't, well, we'll talk about that later. Is it, is it superior? Is it equal? Is it inferior? Because when you come to a table of any kind of dialogue within a diversified world and you want to engage in pluralism, in a way, we're, we're in America, so there, there is a superiority complex, regardless America. if you're on the religious right or the religious left. I'll absolutely say yes. I view my my worldview as a superior, or I wouldn't hold it. I think I'm like I'm I'm secure enough in like my insecurities, if like that's like a phrase, right? Like, like I I know I don't know a lot, and I am I have found my views and rest well in them at the moment, thinking that they're superior, at least for me, right? Like they're like this is like this is what this is. The journey I've been through that got has got me to this point, and I'm not saying it's over by any means, but you know what? If I thought something was superior out there, like I'd be going after that, you know. Like, and I, I don't feel I'm at that point. I feel like I've I've landed in this area that I'm comfortable with. I think how I see it is that, and I, I'm and I don't want to be too cute about this, but I'm rejecting these um, these qualifiers and trying to see my tradition as inclusive and as sort of synthesizing the parts of traditions that are working in the environment that I'm in. And so some of that is recognizing the environment that I'm in is predominantly white and predominantly upper class. And so the things that work for me and work for my friends don't work in some other environments. And so judging other environments or other approaches as inferior when people are dealing with completely different circumstances seems to me to be missing a really big piece of understanding the world. And so I, I kind of want to reject that idea of superior. And on the other hand, I, I would like for everyone to join me in looking at what, what parts of my view are incorporating my circumstances sort of without realizing it. And I like to think that you know, we have a, we were talking earlier, and I, we have a pub theology group at our church. And it's been surprising how many different viewpoints we've had inside the group. And um, people you wouldn't, because you only see them on Sundays, you wouldn't know how they really feel. But then once they come and start sitting down and discussing, and it, it's been uplifting. Yeah, I mean, I'm a shame. I, I, human nature, you find a day that works, and you latch onto that, and you'll find another day that works better. And so, I mean, for me, where I am right now seems to fit the best for what I'm doing for my own mental health, for my own spiritual health. That doesn't mean it's not going to change, because I may encounter something you know, tomorrow that'll make me rethink everything. Um, but yeah, I've, I found that it seems to work, seems to fit within my understanding cognitively and theologically, and so that's where I am. But it's not a static, I'm always better. It just, this seems to work best for me in this context at this time. I think for me, the especially the exposure I've gotten through brew theology, um, I have space for a lot of different views, but if you're oppressing people or abusing people, I don't have space for that. And that that comes with a responsibility that I need to address that in a way that is respectful and um, works toward resolution. But when I see women being oppressed, whether that's in Islam or in American Christian purity culture, which are very similar things, um, or I'm seeing uh, the the racial division highlighted in our country and how that impacts our churches. Like we have a responsibility to respond to that, or the way that the poor are separated and and discriminated against in our churches. Um, 
I'll walk with you down your road, but if you're hurting other people, I'm, that's got to stop. And, and you do need to confront that. And maybe, maybe that's harsh, I don't know, but it's, it's our responsibility to stand up for those who are being oppressed. That's part of our Christianity. And that's, that's part of what has been awakening in me in the last little while, encountering some of the people that we've brought in. Yeah. And I know we don't like the word superior to a degree, but that's the uh, superior trump card, if you will. That's actually, there's a good word there. I will not. I will not. That was, no, it was bigly. It actually was. I, I And I'm joking, but I actually do mean that. That was good. Ah. Nobody like see, and here's my question for the rest of you, and I hear these eyes in the background, is would you be able to actually do dialogue with a Trump supporter? Because if you can't, then you, I don't think you know how to dialogue. I have but to tell you that we had a Trump supporter come the week after the, of the election, and we weren't on a super political topic, but this person had very set views, and I am so freaking proud of our Brew Theology people, because they stepped up at that table. They were patient. They let him speak. They tried to ask probing questions and logical questions. And man, they did their very best to try to make that discussion welcoming and open for the person that was at the table. And he's come back two times since. And so, that's so, uh, what we do. Yeah. Just don't be an asshat. And it's, it's amazing what we can do. All right, so uh, we're going to move on. We have a couple more questions. And if you're listening right now and you hear the rain, we're enjoying the rain. Is that a beautiful sound? It's beautiful here in North Carolina. Love it. Come to Wild Goose next year. All right, so do you guys believe that all paths lead to the same mountain peak? And I know that, that this is an analogy. Uh, so many paths, right, up the di to different peaks, to paths cross over. And I know this is an, an analogy, and analogies break down after a while, but it's the only analogy to which our culture has. So what do you think about the one way, the many ways, the mountain, the peak, the valleys? What happens when you get to the top, if there is a top? I'll say, I think we're all going to end up in the same place. I mean, we all started at the same place, whether it's um, Jewish, Christian, or Muslim. I mean, they all came from Abraham, and we're all going to eventually get back there. Now I feel like that we're all shooting for a different mountaintop, is what I feel like. And I, I think, being, being a mountaineer, I hike 14,000-foot mountains in Colorado. I, I love that. What sucks is coming back down, right? Like that's that's the that's the worst part. It's more strenuous probably than hiking up it because you're using different. You're using your knees. You're hitting. Like, I mean, it's it's different for sure, and it's just as challenging because you're already tired. And I think that's like what a lot of us have experienced. We were climbing a mountain. We were going to that mountaintop, and something said, "Nope, nope, we're turning." And it's that's not an easy process to turn down that mountaintop, whether it's you know like a, a denomination or or what. What have you? That's painful, and I think like I think I, I view it as a range, a mountain range, right? Like you're coming down that mountain and you're wanting to go up, an, up another one. You're wanting you're wanting a different view. You're wanting more scenic pastures, whatever have you, right? Like, and that's I feel like that's that's my metaphor. I feel like there are multiple there are multiple mountains, and like you don't just like go like go to a different path. Like you have to put some energy into getting up onto a different trail. So I think. I'm not sure about whether there are multiple mountain peaks or only one, and that, and I think there are multiple paths that get to a top, whether it's more than one top or not. But I also think there are a lot of paths that claim to be going toward the top that are just going around the mountain, like that old kid song, mm -hmm. say, and that are promising people they're going to get up somehow, and that really they're just retreading the same old path over and over again and trying to pretend that because the leaves change colors that they're on a different path. Right. And so I think that trying to look for are we headed up or not is uh, maybe more important than are we all headed for the same top or not. Do I want to get to the top? What's, what's the top? I mean, if you have to come back down, I agree with you from a hiking perspective. That is really painful. <laughs> oh, absolutely, right? I mean, mm. so... So I really like Shane's uh, mountain range image. I think that's a really helpful image because we're seeking transcendence. But I mean, if you read the sacred texts of Judaism, of Christianity, of Islam, of Hinduism, of Buddhism, 
we're not all the same goal. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that we have different things that we're looking for through our experiences. And so, yes, we're seeking transcendence. Yes, we're seeking something beyond ourselves. But I think we experience that differently. And so I don't think we all have to be on that same peak as long as we're moving beyond where we are now to something that is better. More was, just, more reconciled, more community-oriented, all those kind of things. And I would say, like, I, I hiked a 14er on, on the 4th of July, and I was talking to a friend who is not really about 14ers. He's a skier, and he says, you know, there's there's multiple ways up the mountain, but there's really only one way he wants to get down it, and it's skiing, right? Like, that's like, there's, there's only that one nice. that one way, right? But, like, like how... You know what? I don't really know where I was going with that. <laughs> it happens. That's why we have an editor. That's, That's why, why we, we have, have Dan. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking at me like I have an answer. I don't, to be honest, I don't have an answer anymore. I don't know. I think that the reality is that much of, it's much more important to work through this life and to be moving forward and to be loving our neighbor and treating each other as humans. And if I can get to a place where I do that well consistently, that's, I don't know what else to expect. Um, if I have to be stuck in, in heaven with some of the people I know, I might go insane. <laughs> and a lot of the people that I know that have been told they're going to hell will have much more fun. Much more fun. Cheers to that. <laughs> oh, man. What would Rob Bell say about this? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, lastly... Dialogue often leads to change and mutual transformation, and hopefully all of us have had enough substantial dialogue in our life that's led to that. Uh, would you be willing to change in the fa- you know in the face of the other? And Andy, you, you would say that you you hope that you'd be willing to change if there's another superior view, so to speak. And can you actually share? Can you share one specific way in which you've actually changed your mind about the the other quote unquote recently, or it could be at any point in your life? Since he called me out, I'm going to respond. Um, I would say racial justice is one area that I've really changed. So there was no part of my faith growing up that had to do with, you know, how do we treat our neighbor outside of the people who look like us? Um, and so that's a change that has radically reoriented what I do. It's reoriented my job. It's reoriented my call. Um, but I would not change it for the world because I think that's brought me closer to Christ. That's brought me closer to the kingdom of God. And so I'm happy to change when I encounter those kind of things. Um, if it's bringing us away from the kingdom, if it's bringing us away from reconciliation and justice, I don't want to change that way. I, I've, I don't see how that can be beneficial to me, to my community, to my family, to my friends. Those kind of changes I don't... Maybe I don't have the, the long vision, and so that's why I say that, but I would have a hard time letting go of the anti-racist, anti-sexist work that I do in those changes that have happened. So this may sound really lame, but if you come from a non-imbibing tradition, learning to imbibe at 35 um, made me change my view of the other. Mm. And to the point where I had to look at my tradition and go, I'm not going to do this behind the commitments I've made. I That's just not in my personality. I know a lot of people that can. I can't. And so I had to leave. And that's not to praise, you know, the god of alcohol. I understand the, the problems with alcohol. But it did help me learn to other better. Um, I think there is something beautiful in sitting down and sharing a drink, whatever kind of drink you want to share, without any really in purpose or intention, but just to be together, um, to love each other, to play together, to have that time where we come together. And I, I think that the hardness in my old tradition was that that has to all be very structured and it all has to fit within a certain box and you better be playing the right kind of cards like Uno and not those face cards. Um, and so then once you step outside of that, all of a sudden like all these other boxes and all these other ways that I used to other people fall apart and I realize, wait a minute, this the world is very different. And so I've had to make a ton of changes about what I think the other is. And I know that's kind of the reverse of what you meant, but 
but it happens both ways. Like we progress as we're outside the bubble, but even moving from inside to outside the bubble is exactly this. I was a diehard Nazarene. I'm a third generation Nazarene. My grandfather was called a preacher. My father was a Gideon. You know, I was called to preach. That's the thing, right? But it's not. And so I changed my mind. And I hope that I will keep changing my mind. But it has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So I think the, the way that I've changed my mind is a story that I won't tell all the way here, but it's been, for me, the I've been in the anti-racist, anti-misogynist, anti-all the bad things in my head, so there's the superiority, um, space long enough that then I have people who are in those spaces but who run up against other values and so who are being mean to people or who are mistreating people or who are running up against the, the sort of core foundational love God, love other people things that I'm that are at the heart of my anti-racism, anti um, all the things. Um, and so calling those people to accountability for what they say they believe and to be true to our shared values and to continue to partner with them in relationship and friendships in the way that we have in the past has required sort of an individualized assessment that is so much work and so much vulnerability and stress and realism that, um, man, it's exhausting and really painful. And so I think that that for me has been the biggest shift is the stereotypes working in the other direction of just because you fit in a category of people that I see as historically oppressed doesn't mean you get to behave however you want in relationship to me or other people. All right, this is the micro, micro, microcosm of what we do at Denver Brew Theology. And if you want to go further into this topic, you can go to a book by the, uh, Schubert Ogden, who wrote, Is There Only One True Religion or Are There Many? Also, Diana Eck, who you can go to pluralism.org and check more information about that. And what we, this is the beauty of what we're doing right now, is that we have six people around this table. And if we do this topic, which we do every single week at a pub, and we do this back-to-back, I will be in a different group, Andy will be in a different group, and the conversation is vastly different each time. And so I encourage you, if you do this in your community, do it two weeks in a row, because you'll be surprised in how the conversation will take on its own form after a while. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Wild Goose and the Goose Cast. Give it a holla! All right. If you like this episode, make sure you go to iTunes and rate it, share it, review it, share it on the Twitter, Facebook, and you could even share on Instagram in your own creative way. All right, peace. Cheers. 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 Cheers.